Well, hey, once again, good morning, Motion City Church. Man, so good to see you. I don't know, um, I was thinking about this the other day, I don't know whether uh, you look at Sunday as the end of your week or the beginning of your week, but all I know is that there's no better way to begin or end the week than by being in church. Man, I hope you're doing well. You look great. So good to see everybody. Um, Man, I can't believe Christmas is right around the corner. I cannot believe next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Uh, Man, hope you're getting excited about our Christmas Eve service. Man, it's going to be a great time to invite family, friends, coworkers, those strangers you meet at Target. Man, it's just going to be a great uh, morning next week. So I want to make sure that you know that, man, you are welcome and invited uh, to that as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, what we are doing this morning is we are wrapping up our three-part teaching series called Fear Not. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at different instances uh, in the Christmas story where an angel would appear and the very first thing the angel would say is, uh, it's on the screen, help me out, what would the angel say? The angel would say, fear not. Now we saw an angel appear to Mary. We saw an angel appear to Joseph. And today we are going to look at the angels appearing to the shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock. You know how it goes. But man, just to to recap again, um, why on earth would an angel need to say, fear not, uh, when appearing to... when appearing to people, because I mean, I remember growing up in church and flannel graphs and and get your stories with the flannel graph and you got the flannel board with the sticky uh, stuff on the back of the the characters and you would just slap on the board. Man, I remember there were two different instances when it came to angels and it was, um, you had kind of the the uber hippie angel uh, with the long hair, kind of the blank stare on the face, looking for uh, the best deal on on ginseng or some uh, organic um, cereal or whatever. And, or you would have the angels be either uh, the fat babies that would fly in the air. Now, neither of those situations, neither of those things, and in retrospect, I would not be afraid of those things, I guess, unless a fat floating baby showed up in my house and spoke in full sentences. I guess I would be a little bit <laughs> afraid of that. There may be a little fear in that. But but relatively, the, when we think of angels, we're, it's not really an instance or they're not really beings that would invoke fear because I think we've just kind of maybe, uh, again, like we talked about in week one, um, we've just kind of misrepresented them in the way that we uh, think about them and the way that we look at them and the way that we kind of depict them. And what angels were, is angels were and are warriors. Now, we believe that um, and there is so much more action happening on in this life than the stuff that we see. And I believe, we believe, man, there are battles waging for souls. There are battles raging uh, for you, for me, man. If there's one thing I know, man, when a life is transformed by Jesus, the last thing, the devil is going to do is allow uh, us to just simply live our lives loving Jesus. And man, the battle begins. And and I believe that Satan will do anything he can to distract us and deter us from the life that God would have for us to live. Um, that, that he would distract us from the grace that we've received, from the forgiveness that we've experienced. And so when, we, when Satan is sending out his army, man, we need an army. God has an army uh, that will match and ultimately overthrow and defeat the powers of, of evil. And so what 
when these angels would appear to Mary and Joseph, as we're going to see the shepherds, man, these were warriors. Man, think about, man, like it's like the cast of 300 on more steroids. Like these guys are jacked warriors. And so all of a sudden, man, if there is warrior angels in your midst, man, that would be the appropriate time for them to reassure me with a little fear not. And so when we think about angels, man, when we think about why they would have to say fear not, again, it's not because they're not intimidating and it's just the cool way or the angelic way to uh, announce your arrival because, man, there was probably legitimate fear in the hearts of Mary, Joseph, and these shepherds when these angels would show up. Because remember, these are warriors. These are battle-ready. These are battle-strengthened warriors. And so that is why the angels would say, Fear not, because man, again, the image of them, I think is a whole lot scarier and a whole lot more aggressive than I think we give them credit for. And so, um, so put kind of just keeping that in our mindset, the, the, the fear that we're going to be looking at this morning as we wrap up the series is a fear that many people have around the world. I think maybe some people even in here today, and it's the fear of where do I stand with God? Now, for those uh, of you that believe in God or you believe that there is more to this life than this life, uh, that something will happen to you after you die, a lot of times, if if we're honest in those quiet moments, many of us will ask, man, what? is going to happen to me after I die. Where do I stand with whatever or whomever I believe is waiting on the other side of this life? And the question that I would ask is, where do I stand with God? And I can speak, I, can, I can't speak for the rest of you, but I can tell you quite honestly that growing up as a kid, man, I was scared to death that I would not be good enough for God. I don't know how you could ever measure where you stand with God and 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 but I was always concerned that when I put my head down on my pillow, man that there could be an opportunity that I might not wake up and I was so um and just thinking about the things that I had done, the bad things that I did during the day, during the week, man, I would go to sleep and put my head with a, a an immense sense of fear and to make matters even a little worse, my parents uh, and my grandparents they taught me this little prayer. I don't know if if maybe the, uh, you know this prayer or they still teach this uh, today or recite this today. And I, and I think it was a little, it was a popular prayer for kids in my day. And it was cute enough, I guess. I guess until you got to this one little freaky part. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to recite the prayer, and what I need you to do is I just need you to, like, raise your hand um, when we get to the part that would potentially freak out a small little child. And so, uh, so fair enough. Okay, so when I get to the freaky part, you guys are going to raise your hand, right? You're going to raise your hand. You're going to participate. Remember, freaky part, raise your hand. We're good. All right, let's do it. All right, so here's the prayer. All right, so you kneel down. You're in your covers. Your parents kneel down next to your bed. Uh, you, you, the lights are dim. Uh, there's maybe a nightlight in your room. If you don't have a nightlight, there's definitely a light on in the bathroom down the hall. Um, and, and the prayer would go like this. Okay, so, all right, remember, I get to the freaky part, raise your hand. Got it? All right, cool. All right, so, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now, don't, don't remember, don't miss the freaky part. When you hear it, just raise your hand. All right, all right. If I should die before I wake, 
I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, good night, Steve. Have sweet dreams and don't let the bed bugs bite, okay? I mean, I remember praying <laughs> this prayer and, and just thinking, man, I could die tonight. I could die. And if I die tonight, God, would you take my soul? I mean, sweet dreams. Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? I was freaked out. And on top of that, on top of that prayer, my parents just told me that there were bed bugs. This was awful. And I kid you not, I struggled for a long time as to where I stood with God. And every night there was this fear that if I should die before I woke, would I have done enough good in my life to get me out of hell and get me into heaven? And I laugh about it now, but as a kid, it was really scary. It was a really scary thing for me, the fear of where I stand with God. Now today, we're going to look at another Fear Not Angel story, and I believe that this story, very popular portion of the Christmas story, uh, could speak to, to many of you in a way that I believe could be a game changer when you look at your life and when you look at where you stand with God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open our Bibles. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you have uh, the Bible on your phone, uh, just Type in Luke and chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11. Now, the key player in this story this morning is the shepherds. And so, uh, so we're going to pick up uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and says this. This is what the Bible says. It said, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse number 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, fear not. The King James translate, translates that to fear not. My version says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Verse 11, for today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the angels are telling the shepherds, today I bring you good news. Fear not, for a Savior has been born to you. Now, some people could ask, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people, uh, okay, okay, so what's the good news? I mean, I mean, uh, so if we need a Savior, the question is, what do I need to be, what do I need a Savior from? What do I need to be saved from? Now, what's really interesting to me about this story is who the angel appeared to. Now, for example, uh, in the time when, when Jesus lived, whenever a family would give birth to a child, it was really common if this family had any sort of uh, financial means at all, if they, if they came from money, they, what they would do is they would hire a herald. Now, that's not really a word uh, that we would use, um, that we maybe we would understand today. And so I often refer to it as a carnival barker. Um, so a family would hire a carnival barker or a herald to announce the birth of their child. For example, especially if a family had a first son, uh, they would make a really, really big deal about this because uh, a firstborn son was a symbol of God's blessing, that the family name would continue, um, that God, uh, it was a symbol that God was blessing the family. And so uh, they, what they would do is they would hire a herald or or um, uh, a carnival barker <laughs> so, uh, to announce the good news of that child being born. Now, the amazing thing about this is that God does this. He sticks with a cultural um, 
the context of the culture at that time. And what God does is he sends an angel to herald or announce the good news about the birth of Jesus. But what's really interesting is who God sends the angel to. I mean, if you think about it, if the Son of God is being born to earth, I mean, really, who do you think God would choose to announce that to? Now, I don't know, but from my perspective, and in trying to, you know, trying to take this from a logical mindset, forgetting uh, that I've, I've I've known the story. Maybe we know the story. We've heard it since we were kids. Trying to just get get that out of my mind to a logical mindset. I would think that that God would announce the birth of of Jesus to royalty. You know, like um, like like we believe that God like. That God is is the creator of the universe. That He is. Uh, I mean, the Scripture talks about that He uses the earth as uh, a, a footstool, like all these different things. And so God, and so you think that royalty would announce to royalty. So you think that maybe God would um, send an angel to announce the birth of Jesus to royalty, let's announce it to kings, or at very least go to the religious leaders of the day, uh, Pharisees or scribes or Sadducees. And so uh, you would send uh, angels to announce the birth of Jesus to those who had some kind of religious weight within the community. But instead, what God does is he skips the royalty, he skips the religious leaders, and God sends the angel to go make a heralding announcement to shepherds. Now, what I forget to understand at times and what I forget is that shepherds were some of the most disrespected and disregarded people around. Man, the job of a shepherd was so low that if a father, if he had to have a shepherd in the family, would give it to the youngest son. It was more often reserved for slaves and thieves and criminals because shepherds were uneducated. There was no means of advancement in their career. Like there was no um, uh, promotional uh, pyramid in which a shepherd uh, lived their life by. So there was no mean, there was no sense or means of advancement. They were uneducated. In fact, according to religious systems, shepherds were always rejected. The religious leaders actually taught the shepherds that they were no good, they were, they were not even good enough for God, that they could never be made right with God. In fact, the shepherds could not live up to the religious rules of the day, and so it's no wonder that they were always worried about and lived in fear as to where they stood with God. I mean, I can only imagine how they, I can only imagine what they would feel like, and so it's, it's not surprising to, to, to come to the conclusion that the shepherds, man, they felt distant. Man, they felt distant. Now, why did they feel distant? I want to give you three specific reasons. Uh, if you got your talk notes and you're taking notes, uh, three different re- specific reasons why the shepherds felt distant. The first reason the shepherds would feel distant from God is that they felt very unworthy. Man, many of us would feel this way. In fact, they were outcasts in Israel. And like I said, they were taught specifically, you are not good enough for religion. You are not good enough for God. And the reason is they were, I mean, they were nomads. They were wanderers. Their job took them on the road, kind of like what we would uh, associate with with uh, crossroad, uh, cross-country truckers. You might go on the road for 10 days, uh, weeks, months, even most of the year at a time, and therefore they wouldn't come back to temple, and they wouldn't, and, and they would be declared ceremonially, ceremonially, sorry, unclean. 
In other words, they're, they're not right with God because they couldn't perform their religious duties because their job kept them on the road. Basically, what they were being told is you can't be a part of our club because you can't follow our rules. And as you can imagine, they hung out with sheep. And so how do you think that they smelled? I mean, I can, they, they smelled horrible. They smelled disgusting. There were no um, uh, sheep stops on the road for them to take a shower back in the day. And so, and so these shepherds, man, they were physically dirty, but even more damaging to their souls. Religious people considered them spiritually dirty. So much so that a religious person would not even touch a shepherd because if their body touched a shepherd, then they would be considered spiritually unclean as well. And so you can only imagine, man, how unworthy these shepherds felt. And the reality is that's the way that many of us can be as well because we can come into church and try and put on like a church face, but we know the bad things that we've done. I mean, we were in the car driving to church and, we, and just hollering at your kids and, 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 and do this and do that. And I know that and I just battle in my mind oftentimes, mostly on Sunday mornings of all the bad things that I've done and how on earth could I do what I'm about to do, speak from the word of God. And how could I, and, and how could, and I, I conclude like, man, how could God love someone who's done what I've done? I mean, anybody else been there or is it just me? And then you look around at everyone else and especially at Christmas time, man, everyone looks so, so Christmassy, so perfect. And you're like, man, they look so pretty. And, and, and I think to myself, man, I almost killed my own child getting to church today. If my arm had just been three inches longer, man, I would have taken one of them out and, 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 and just driving and just hollering back and forth, like cut that out and this, that, whatever. And, 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 and oh, man, just the frustration that comes with knowing my life. You know what I mean? Like just knowing my life. And then all of a sudden we get to church and we put on our church face and everything's great. But deep down in the back of my mind, the, and even in the forefront of my mind, man I, man, I mess this one up. And I feel unworthy. I feel unworthy to be in the presence of God. I feel unworthy to be in this position. Man, the shepherds, man, they felt unworthy. They also, if you're taking notes, they felt really inadequate. I mean, they felt very, very inadequate. They were uneducated, so they never felt like they measured up in society. And it's amazing, man, when we compare ourselves to other people, right, how inadequate we begin to feel. I mean, ladies, I want you to think about this for a second. You go to your friend's home and her house it's perfect. It's like Joanna Gaines vomited all over her living room and her kitchen and her dining room. And it smells like candles and the floor is clean and her kid's hair is, is brushed and they're speaking in full articulate sentences, even the baby. And you walk into your house and it smells like a, 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 a conflicting scent of clean and not so clean and maybe clean laundry and you don't even know what kind of floor you have because you haven't seen it in so long and you have not even seen a hairbrush since 1987 and man I you just begin to feel so inadequate for me I know it's silly and I shared a little bit about this before but man when I uh, go to pastors conferences or church conferences Man, I am constantly comparing myself to other pastors in other churches. I'm not saying it's right or that I should do it, but I'm just, I'm, I just, I want you to know I'm just a guy up here who's trying to be real right now. And I see 
the way that these other pastors dress and the clothes that they wear. And I think, man, if I had the clothes that these pastors wear, man, if I had these clothes, man, I know that our church would grow. But you know, honestly, to, to spend all the money to pay for all those clothes, my, my, my family would probably be living in a pop-up camper off of 35W somewhere. Or when I see, man, let me tell you, man, there are some pastors with some really cool haircuts. And I think, man, if I just had a, a haircut like that, if I mean, things, I mean, when I get out of the shower in most days and I look in the mirror, I can see directly to my scalp. I, I, I am just like, there is no way that I could ever have a really cool haircut. But I think, man, if I could just get one of these haircuts, then our church would grow. People would be lining up around the block to get into this church to hear me speak. And, and if we could just take it one ridiculous step further, if I had the clothes and the shoes and the haircut, then I could get a conference, I could get on a conference speaking circuit and then people would want to, to, to read a book that I wrote simply because I had the clothes and the shoes and the haircut. And if I had what they had, then everything else would just seem to fall into place. And, and I can become completely obsessed with what's going on in other people's lanes that I forget about the lane that God has called me to. I forget that I'm part of a much greater body collectively working together for the greatest good and the glory of God. But man, isn't it true that, when, that we feel so inadequate when we compare ourselves to others? And even worse, spiritually, Man, when they, when, when they compared themselves, man, they felt so inadequate. And, and one of the big rules was that you had to keep the Sabbath. You had to take a day of total rest. And the shepherds couldn't do that because, in, in, because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the shepherds needed to protect and care for their sheep. It, it would be so difficult to get 100 sheep to observe a 24-hour Sabbath. I mean, it's not, I have a hard time getting a seven-year-old and a four-year-old to just stand still for 20 minutes. And, and I think about these shepherds, man, what were they supposed to do? They, they, they couldn't keep the Sabbaths, and so, and so they felt like constant spiritual failures. And sometimes, man, I know I'm like that. We're like that. We look around at other people and they seem so close to God. They've got a Bible verse for everything, man. If I ever am at a crossroads as to what cereal to buy at a grocery store, I'll always call my mom because she'll always have a Bible verse for me. And I don't even know... I didn't even know that that, that, that that Bible verse was in a book. And how do they do that? And it seems like these people, their prayers are so powerful. And I'm thinking, man, the last time I prayed, it was more just like, God, please help me not kill this person in the parking lot of the mall because they took my parking spot. And I can, I can just, I just feel so unspiritual. I feel so inadequate spiritually. I mean, the shepherds, they felt this way. They felt unworthy. They felt inadequate. And the third challenge was that the shepherds would have had with it. They felt very unloved. They felt so unloved. In reality, most of them were thieves. And this is kind of a sad fact, but even the ones who weren't thieves were known as thieves. They they weren't trusted. People wanted to stay as far away from shepherds as they could. In fact, they were so distrusted that a shepherd was never allowed to even give a testimony in a court case because no one could trust them. They wanted to get married, but no father would ever bless their daughter to be married to the likes of a shepherd because they were so low 
in, in the, socio, uh, the socio, social standings of that day. They were so filthy. They were so uneducated. There was no hope of a better future. They felt so incredibly unloved. And, and the reality is so tragically, that's the way many people feel today. There may be some of you here, man, your, your dad left when you were a kid. And you're wondering, man, what was so wrong with me? Why couldn't dad stick around? I mean, it was just me and my mom and, and maybe your siblings. And, and you begin to think in your head, man, what did I do that was so wrong that he wouldn't or couldn't love me? There may be some of you that you're going into this Christmas without a spouse because your spouse chose someone or something else. Or they just said, you know what, I don't love you anymore. And you're, and you're looking at yourself going, man, what did I do wrong? I, I, I tried, I did the best that I could, but you feel so unloved. Some of, some of us, when we look in the mirror, we don't even like the person looking back at us. You don't even love yourself. Like, I can't believe that person. And, I, and you think if, I, if, if, they don't, if I don't love me, how could God ever love me? And the bottom line to all of this is that religion didn't work for the shepherds. It made them feel even more distant from God. Religion did not work for the shepherds. And if religion didn't work for the shepherds, it, 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 didn't, it doesn't and won't work for us. You see, the problem with religion is religion reduces Christianity down to rules. It reduces Christianity down to do's and don'ts. Well, if I do the right thing, I'll feel better about myself. And if I feel better about myself, therefore God must feel good about me. But if I do the wrong thing, I feel worse about myself. And if I feel uh, bad about myself, therefore there's no way that God could feel good about me because, uh, because we, uh, we, we determine our standing with God based on our feelings, based on the list of do's and don'ts, because, man, that's what religion does. And Jesus, he looked at this kind of behavior and, and, and he said... Just to put it in the Steve Nyland term, he said, it, it makes me want to puke. It makes me want to vomit. I mean, in, in scripture, he says to the Pharisees, he says, you're so focused on the outside and the outside is filthy. Uh, or, sorry, but, the in, but your inside is filthy. Your outside looks clean, but the inside where it matters is filthy. He says, you, and Jesus says, you've missed the entire point if that's what you're worried about. If you're worried about the outside with neglect to the inside, you've missed the entire point. You see, religion did not work for the shepherds, and it doesn't work for you and for me because Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but it was meant to be a relationship with God. That's why God sent a person. That's why God sent Jesus, his son. That's good news. That's the good news. And you say, well, okay, if, if this is good news, if, if there's a Savior, what does this mean for me? What will this matter for me today, Monday, the rest of my life? How does this apply to my life today? And I want to show you in a few of the clearest verses of all the Bible written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who, if you don't know anything about Paul, before Paul was a follower of Jesus, uh, he was... Uh, he, was, he, he hated Christians. He hated the church. His name used to be Saul. And, and, and what Saul used to do is he used to uh, find churches, find Christians, and he used to kill them. He was the greatest leader against Christianity, against the local church in all of history. Some, um, 
I mean, he, he was just, he, he was a man to be feared. But when he met the transforming power of Jesus, he became one of the greatest representatives of Christ in all of history. And here's what he said, and I would describe this in the most uh, succinct version of the good news in the Bible, certainly one of the most important. I, I love this passage of scripture. I feel like I've read it a million times in my life, but man, it has been coming alive to me uh, this week. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20, going through verse 22. I'm going to read it all, then we're going to break it down. And so starting in verse 20, it says this, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, because the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Verse 21, God has now shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Verse 22, you are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. And I love this last line, no matter who we are. So let's break this down as simple as one, two, three. If you're taking notes, if you've got your talk notes, what is the good news? Number one, the good news is you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You cannot be good enough for God on your own by trying to obey the law. And this is such good news for the shepherds because they lived in a society where the Pharisees tried to obey 613 laws. Think about 613 laws. Even if you were trying to observe one law a day, you could only observe half, almost a little under half of these in one year. I mean, I mean, Christians, we, we have the Ten Commandments. And, and so God was saying, man, I want to simplify 613 into 10. And because we have just a hard time following rules and we couldn't even follow 10. And so then God said, all right, let's make it a little easier with the person of Jesus, with the, with the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who, who, who completes the law. Jesus completes the law. We can simplify it even more into simply loving God and loving people. Man, it, they were, I mean, they were trying to obey 613 laws and the shepherds physically could not do it. Their occupation prohibited, prohibited them from being able to obey the law. Now, the good news is that you can't do it even if you tried. I know it doesn't sound like good news, but that is good news. Verse 20 says, for no one can, uh, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So the question has to arise, why do we have the law? Why is it even there? What's it there for? Well, if, if, if thought number one is you can't earn God's acceptance by observing the law, thought number two is this. What's the purpose of the law? It's to show you your need for a savior. And let's look at this very clearly. Verse 20 again. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Why is the law there? The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I mean, think about it. What does the law do? It reveals your and my need for a savior. Now, I, 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 need, I need to just say the, the, that this right here is one of the most important things we're going to talk about today because in our culture today, one of the fundamental flaws in our thinking is that we actually believe we're good. If I asked you, hey, how many of you would think you're basically a good person? Many of you, probably most of you, say, yeah, I'm genuinely a good person. I know, I know some bad people, but you know what? I'm, I'm not anything like them. And if you compare yourself to other people, that may be true. You may be a good person, but we're not talking about comparing ourselves with other people. 
You know, broken cars don't compare themselves to broken cars. You know, we're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're talking about comparing ourselves to God's standard. We are all bad people. And just because it's Christmas, I want to help you see how bad you really are. In fact, this is a little exercise. I think we've done it before, so forgive me, forgive me if you're bored with it. But, um, but we're just going to do, uh, if there's some new people, man, it's going to be new to you. We're going to jump into this, so just play along. If you just do me a favor, just play along. And so um, how many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How many of you have told a lie? Raise them up. Leave them up. Uh, leave them up. All right, find uh, the people whose hands aren't up in the air. Look at them. Point at them. Call them liars because they're probably lying. Just do it. It's fun to call people liars in church. All right, put your <laughs> all right. Just put your hands down. All right. Um, all right. How many of you have ever stolen something before? Raise your hand. I know that I have. My hands up. I've stolen something. Have you stolen something before? All right. All right. Put your hands down. Now, what I now what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to put your hand up for this one. But as incognito as you can, just lift your pinky. Just lift your pinky finger or just lift your shoe maybe. Just do that. Excuse me. And hands ready. But just pinkies, maybe just lift your foot or whatever um, to answer this next one. But let me ask you this. Um, uh, have you ever looked lustfully at someone? High school students, college students, singles, married couples. Have you ever looked lustfully at someone? I mean, just pinkies, pinkies, shoot. Okay, we've all done that. All right. And so what the Bible says is that if we've looked at someone lustfully, what we've actually done is we've actually committed adultery. And so if you told a lie, uh, what would people call you? They would call you, if you told a lie, they'd, they'd call you what? They'd call you a liar. And if you'd stolen something, what would they call you? They would call you a, a stoler. No, I'm just kidding. They would, call you a th- they would call you a thief. And if you looked lustfully at somebody, what are you, what, and Jesus says you're an adulterer. So basically, our church this morning is full of lying, thieving, adulterers. Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Motion City Church. We hope you feel much better about yourself. Now, now you say... Why on earth are we doing this? This is so important. We can't miss it. You see, until we see ourselves as sinners, we will never fully recognize our need for a Savior. When you recognize that you are not good people compared to God, then you will finally recognize, oh my gosh, I am in need of His grace. And when you realize you need a Savior, you're going to recognize this. Your religion and working hard on your own cannot save you. When you recognize that I am a sinner, then you won't be looking for salvation through religion. You won't be looking for salvation through, through your own efforts, but you'll be looking for salvation through a person. That 2,000 years ago, a Savior was born. And indeed, Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but a relationship with a loving God who sent his son to reveal just how good God is. And so what is the good news? The good news is you cannot be good enough for God on your own. And the purpose of the law Why is it there? It's to show us. It's to show us our need for a Savior, to direct us towards the cross. So how are we made right with God? How can we ever be made right with God? Number three is this. God, the good news teaches us 
that righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus giving money. It's not Christ plus your best works. It's Christ plus nothing. It's putting our faith in Christ alone. Verse 22 says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone, everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And the angel appeared to the shepherds, the people that religion rejected, and said, Fear not, today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. The angel wasn't saying a savior has been born to for better people with more means, with more education, with more right standing. No, the angel said a savior has been born to you. How are you made right with God? By faith in Christ alone. And are you good enough for God on your own? Absolutely not. But because of what the Son of God did for you on the cross, becoming your sin, dying in your place, and raising to new life on the third day. Because of that, when you place your faith in Jesus, God no longer sees your sin, but he sees his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ in you. That's why religion didn't work for the shepherds, but a relationship with a Savior did. You see, religion, it's all about us. It's all about our efforts to please God. Relationship is about God's perfect work in satisfying the debt for sin through Jesus. Religion is about what we do or don't do. Relationship is about what God did and His perfect work. Religion says you have to work hard and you have to work harder to please God. A relationship says because I'm already accepted with God by Christ, therefore I desire to work hard. And that's a game changer, guys. That's the game changer. When you realize this, the shepherds felt just like we do. At times we feel unworthy, we feel inadequate, and sometimes even unloved. But the angel said to the shepherds, and the angel says to you today, Fear not, for today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And so no matter how bad you've been, or how bad you've messed up, or how alone you may feel, I'll read it again, verse 22 of Romans chapter 3, We are made right with God, not by good works, not by religion, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. And let's say this last part out loud together, no matter who we are. And that is the good news. No matter who you are, a Savior has been born. His name is Christ, and He is the Lord. Let's pray together today.